Hello, you're listening to Our Walk, the podcast that talks to real people with real stories about a real God. Every week we split this podcast into three sections. Number one, the background. What was your childhood like? What was it like growing up? Any family stories you have to tell? Number two, uh, when you encountered God, what happened? Where were you? What state were you in, in the place of your life? And number three, what's changed since you encountered God? If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can do by visiting our Facebook page, Our Walk, Twitter, at Our Walk Pod, or email us at ourwalkpod at gmail.com. I'm joined today by my co-host Steve, I am Luke, and today we're talking to Chris. So Chris, how are you? I'm fine, thank you very much. Right. Is it alright that we call you by your famous nickname here at the church, Wiggy? You people can call me what they like, <laughs> I've been called a lot worse over the years. So I have noticed from your Facebook that you love a pun. Yeah, I yeah, love the joke. <laughs> they're great, they bring a bit of joy when I used to go through Facebook. I'm like, Chris, I appreciate your puns, they're good stuff. <laughs> Cheers. So... Um, should we, let's get right into it, mm. uh, yeah. let's start, uh, with your background, family? Um, I was born in Margate, my family originally from Reading, my granddad and that went to start a guest house at Margate, um, I can trace my family back to Reading from the late 1800s, oh, wow. so, you know, I've got relatives on the Lion in the Fulbright Gardens, Great granddad's on the War Memorial in Caversham, things like that. But, um, yeah, my dad was an ice cream man, but there weren't much work in the winter at Margate, so he'd come back to Reading, and he had a few ice cream vans. I was about four or five at the time. He'd previously been in prison for when I was about two years old, and then with the ice cream van business, he... um, they were called the Ice Cream Wars back in the early 70s and um, he got done for attempted murder and he stabbed oh. another ice cream man. So my oh, childhood wow. was quite rocky, to mm. say the least. Yeah. My mum sort of had a nervous breakdown and you know, it was quite difficult for me and my sister in my early years, sort of thing. And when my dad eventually came out of prison and that, I had no sort of relationship with him whatsoever and... He was more of an alcoholic than anything that I remember. Right. And, um, yeah, growing up was quite tough. I grew up in Whitley. I loved the area. I had lovely friends. and But a lot of the kids in them days, you've got to remember in the early 70s, there was a lot of strikes. There was the three-day working week when men could only work three days a week. Yeah. There was power cuts. You queued for bread. Yeah. You know, it was a different... It's almost dreamlike when I think back to them days. You, you sort of think of communist Russia or something like that, yeah. and you, you know. But it was um, very poor. But I was lucky in the road I lived in, in Ambrook Road in Whitley. It was a very strong community. Everyone shared, you know. So, but as kids, we were quite feral. You know, my mum had no control over me whatsoever. Um, I, I detested school. It wasn't that I wasn't bright enough, I just didn't like being told what to do or being contained at yeah, school. Yeah. 
and the sands a lot of my mates so we spent most of our time down rivers or in woods or whatever building camps and in them days you could walk about with air rifles and the police wouldn't take them off your own right. you know so we just it was sort of an adventure my childhood but with my home situation my dad was quite a dominant man quite an angry man and he was always in the pub and he was always fighting and and it was, yeah, there was no structure at home whatsoever. And, um, but I loved my childhood, but by the time I got to about 11 or 12, beginning of secondary school, now I started glue sniffing. Right. And um, there was like a gang of us in Whitley. It wasn't just me or, you know, there seemed to be so many kids that had problems back then. And sort of birds of a feather flocked mm. together sort of thing. Yeah. And it was... It was a difficult time and there was a lot of hatred. You know, we envied the richer kids or, you know, we, we thought we were missing out. But, um, and that hatred turned sort of to racism. Mm. A lot of us were skinheads mm. and sort of, we sort of joined far right wing groups. Then came the football, you know, we got on the Chelsea fan and some of us got involved in the football sort of hooliganism and, all the rest. Deep in my heart, I never, I, now I reflect, I'm, I'm 52 now, so when I reflect back, I, I don't think I had hatred in my heart for anyone. I just wanted a sense of belonging. Right. And I belonged with these people, you know. We were always there. If one of us got bullied, they all coming out to you. Mm. Shared music, clothes, money, you know. And, and it, was, it was my sort of, they were my kin, as it were. You know, I never had much of a relationship at home. The only sort of stable relatives I had was my nan and granddad in Whitley. They always fed me. My nan's still alive. She's 100. Mm, you know, wow. she's still going. Like, Thank you. But they were the only sort of... And my nan's the only Christian in the whole family, the 100-year-old. And uh, it was just recently I spoke to her and she said, do you know how often I pray for you, boy? And she goes, I'm so happy that you're going to a church, mm. you know, so I'm glad that God's let us see our prayers come to fruit yeah, sort yeah. of thing, you know, yeah. that's one blessing for me, but my school life was sort of non-existent, I never, um, I was bright enough, I know that, but I just <laughs> didn't care about exams, I just, at 13 I was working on the milk floats right. and paper rounds and I just wanted to earn money as a kid and I officially the first day I officially left school at 16 I was working but because of the people I'm around with my own insecurities the drug taking just really sort of progressed and by 17 I was injecting drugs been on LSD you name it I've took it sort of thing over the years and I was with a girl called Laura, who I eventually married and uh, had four children with, but she got pregnant when she was 15, I was 17. We was living in bed and breakfast. There just wasn't the social care structure that there is now. Mm. Her parents were divorced the same as my mum and dad had just got divorced. And, uh, you know, we were just in bed. We were children with children, yeah. immature even though I was 17, I was very immature. Um, 
and the drug taking got worse. We were moving from one bed and breakfast to one another bed and breakfast, and it was just so dark times. And the more I took drugs, the more I sort of escaped it. Mm. Uh, by the time I was 19, I was desperate, really desperate. And I remember smashing the house up when no one was in. I, I was out of my nut on drugs and I just smashed the house up, except for one mirror. And I remember looking in that mirror and I said, if there's a God, why don't you help me? What, what, what's the difference between me and all the other people? And It's only looking back now I see that God heard me and... It, when I say I cried out of the depths, I don't think people realise how deep I was in her hole and how dark it was. Yeah. And I really cried out of the depths. And God heard me. A few weeks later, I met a drug counsellor who happened to be a Christian, and he was the next resident of Yeldon Manor. And from then on, I went to a drug rehabilitation centre in Hounslow that was run by Yeldon Christian Centres. I was there five months, come out, didn't do, you know, about a month later I was back on the drugs and the drink. And then I started to realise that my life desperately needed to change, you know, and then um, I went back to the same original drug counsellor. He got me on a prescription for methadone to get me off the heroin and all the rest of it. And then I ended up going to Yeldon Manor for about 15 months. Mm-hmm. And it was there I made a commitment to God. I got married. We had our fourth child while I was there. You know, I, was, I think I was 23 and I had four children. Mm. Laura was 21 with four children. Mm. But um, when I left there, I had a job at the YMCA. I worked at the YMCA for about five years. And everything was going well, but... I wasn't walking with the Lord like I am now. I wasn't, right. you know, I just I took him for granted, I think. Mm. You know, I didn't realise that I had to behave and put my effort in. And and to anyone out there, God will do anything and everything for you. But you must make the effort. It's like oh, God tying your shoelaces. He won't tie them for you, but he'll enable you to bend down That's and it. do it yourself. Mm. And <clears throat> I never had that depth, I never had the foundation when I first became a Christian, I never had no deep roots. I went to a church in Caversham, we had four young children, they were of an older generation saying more traditional and mm. they weren't the Sunday school facilities and my kids were quite sort of rowdy to say the least and people would tut and moan and we stopped going because we thought we were affecting their when really I shouldn't have cared, I should have just carried on going. But, and then um, me and my wife had some difficulties. I don't want to go into the sort of nitty gritty of it all. Yeah, that's fine. But we started to drift apart. And then I just went back to what I know most, and that was drugs. Mm. And um, me and my wife ended up splitting up. We're currently going through a divorce. But, um, about three and a half years ago, I was doing an odd man's job at Pangbourne and um, the lady that I worked for rung a wrong number and that happened to be someone called Alan Maskell who comes to this church. Oh, yeah. 
and he got talking to her on the phone and said he's a gardener, so she employed him as a gardener. And I sort of really didn't get on with the fellow, <laughs> you know. And, and he'd be saying, oh, you should come to our church and all this and that. And, and I sort of blanked him. I didn't want to talk to him sort of thing. Then one day he said to me, do you fancy coming down my house for praying? And I'd been going for a really rough time. Mm. And it sort of come flooding back what God had done for me when I was a young man. So I gave it a go. Then I started coming to Life Spring Church. I'd come, I'd sit at the back, I wouldn't talk to no one. I'd pretend I was reading my Bible even if I wasn't, just so I never had to make eye contact with anyone. And then I'd want to shoot off because I'd want a cigarette and get out, which I've actually give up smoking since I've been coming out. <laughs> um, yeah, I am. Um, but summer inside was developing, you know, summer was burning, and I thought, I'm going to keep going back, keep going back. And yeah, wow. God has just blessed me so much in this church. And, and it's, it's not just down to God, it's, well, it's just down to God, but the people here have been so welcoming. I don't feel judged. I see the way the children are treated here, and it makes my heart skip with joy to. You know, that kids are running around waving flags and all mm. that. Whereas the churches I went to previously, when my children were young, it was a big no-no. And it, it's just so family-orientated here. And, and you know, a couple of years ago, I asked to be put on the serving rope and all that, just tidying away. And I've quietly tidied away. And, and then I had the privilege of meeting Jan. He was one of the very first people that ever spoke to me in this church. And I remember <laughs> I've learnt more about God through watching Jan than him talking about God. Right. Just by his humbleness and the rest of it. And I remember telling my girlfriend, she used to pick me up because she didn't come to church at the time. And I say, there's this bloke that smiles there. And if, if I thought Jesus would smile, that's how I'd think he'd smile. You know, Jan had a big, you know, and, and through doing a bit of voluntary work through the CAF, I'd help Jan tidy up now and again mm. and do things, and he showed me around the building, and and I, I've just been so blessed with the people here. There's so many people here with servant hearts, and I've got on my knees and prayed to God, and I, and I just want some of that. I've got so much to give back to God because he is... A, not only once did he pull me out of the depths, he pulled me out twice. But this time my um, foundation seemed so much stronger, I seemed yeah. more deep-rooted. And, and that boils down to what I think, like the encounter courses, the healing encounters, all of which developed me immensely, and the cell group. Mm. Because it's not just a Sunday church, mm. I've got somewhere I can go midweek, and mm. it keeps that fire yeah. burning within inside you. You can easily sort of... If you went on holiday for two weeks, you sort of drift. But I've learnt so much through my cell group and and my devotionals in the morning. I can't stress to people how important they are, how important it is. When I wake, I used to do my devotionals, get up, put the news on, have a coffee, then read a bit of the Bible. Now, first thing I do when I wake up, morning Jesus, thank you God, I'm awake. Go down, no coffee, no tea, bit of praise music, pray. You know, not just for myself, but for the church. If we're to see revival in this town, 
we've got to be united in prayer. And that's why this 24-hour prayer thing is so important. Mm. I'm so committed to that. And mm. we've got a congregation of 300 here. We should be praying 24-7. And mm. every day, every hour of every week, mm. there should be someone here praying. And, and that's, in my heart, that's what I pray for most to God because I know the power of prayer works. Yeah, I've, I've seen it, you know. And, and I know there's, you know, there's so much to conquer in this town, but it starts in our own hearts, the revival. If, you know, I was praying the other night in the projector room and I was talking to God about the fasting and praying because Tom Amberlin spoke and mm. it spoke to me a great deal and it was like God said, and action. Prayer, fasting and action. Mm. Prayer and fasting <clears throat> is lovely, but unless you get up off your backside and go out there and do something, it counts for nothing. That's so it. amazing. Wow, Chris, that is quite the, if we rewind a bit, you know, quite the upbringing. Um, and you, I just want to go back to, like, your y younger days. Um, yeah. Like, you used to talk to, you kind of cried out to God in the mirror and all that kind of thing. Yeah. What, has he always been real, or have you had moments where you're like, ah, oh, he's just some kind of made up? There, there's, there's been times... I went to a Catholic school, Catholic junior school, so there was always God around. But it was like a few weeks ago, I was, I was sat thinking in my bedroom, and I, and I remember when my dad was in prison, we lived in some flats in Whitley and Blackham Road, and I remember being very, very scared. I was about four or five years old. And it was... I can now honestly say Jesus was sat with me in that room mm -hmm. because someone took that fear away. And when I was reflecting on it a few weeks ago, it was like Jesus was saying, I've always been there, mm. I've always known you, you know, and I've always been there for you. Mm. And th there's been moments in my life when doubt comes into the heart, but that's more from the enemy yeah. Yeah. rather than, you know, it's easy to look at the ways of the world and look at other people and think, oh, yeah, perhaps they're right. It's not. Spiritual warfare is real, mm. and there has been moments of doubt. But I can honestly say, at fifty-two years old, I have no doubt in my heart. Jesus has always been with me, even when I was taking the drugs. Mm. He, you know, he's always been there. He's just been waiting for me to cry out. Yeah. Like it says in the Bible, "Ask and you shall receive." Yeah. And I asked, I seeked, and I knocked the door, and he's answered. Mm. So you know. Cool. Great stuff. All right, should we take a quick break? Yeah. Uh, and then we've skimmed over when you met God and that kind of thing, mm. but let's go into a little bit more depth in the next part. Mm. All right, so Chris, part, part two. Um, <laughs> let's talk about... So you kind of said in the last part how you kind of felt like Jesus is always with you even during the dark times and the drug days and all that kind of thing but there must have been a time when he became very real to you and kind of revealed himself to you kind of in a powerful way can you remember has there been a time that you can remember there's I think one of the very first times that I felt God be tangible and, you know, I could actually feel him was when I went to the first drug rehab in Hounslow. I'd just done a drug called naltrexone, 
which makes you withdraw immediately. And I was the first one in this country, me and some lad from New Zealand, to have it on the NHS. And it was awful. It really was awful. We actually were putting the medical journal over it mm. as a way of withdrawing people of heroin in the future. And we were sort of guinea pigs. And I remember being taken to Anslow and I've never felt so ill in my life. It, illness can't describe the feeling mentally, physically and all the rest. And I remember being put in this room. It wasn't locked in or nothing. It was going to be my bedroom. And I sat there and I was breaking my heart, crying. And I really wanted a cuddle. Mm. And I actually felt these arms go round me. And, and you know, again, that doubt in my mind, oh, I was off the nut because of the drugs. and like, But I really do believe Jesus gave me that physical cuddle that I needed mm. at that time to get me through that part of my life. Because, I, I, you know, I was in a terrible state. So there was that time, and um, another time was about four years ago. My soon-to-be ex-wife Laura, um, I got a phone call saying that she was in hospital, and I met my daughter there, and uh, the doc she was in intensive care. The bowel split or something, and she'd got septicemia, and and the doctor said we don't think she's going to live the twenty-four hours. Well, my daughter's breaking down on the lost end because we'd been split up for about five or six years. And I remember cuddling my daughter and I said, I've got to go somewhere. I said, you ring her parents. And then when I get back, I'll ring your brothers and sisters because I've got four kids. And I went to the chapel of the Royal Barts Hospital. I hadn't prayed in such a long time. Mm. And I remember just going in there there was something that happened between me and Laura and I'd never forgiven her. But I remember getting on my knees in that chapel and crying and I forgave her. Wow. I don't know why, but I forgave her and I felt this weight lift off my shoulders. I felt the power of the Holy Spirit and I knew she was going to live. It was just like, it's all right, she's going to live now. You needed to forgive. And, and I went up to my daughter and I said, it's all right, Mum's going to... Don't be silly, Dad. The doctor said she's only got 24 hours. and, I, and But I knew in my heart of hearts she was going to live. Yeah. And I went home that night, got on my knees in my bedroom, started to pray, but I, I never had no words. And I've never spoken tongues like it before or since. But tongues just come out and I was praying and praying and praying. I went to the hospital the next day and the doctor said, I don't know how, but... We think she might even pull through this. And even though she was in intensive care for six weeks, that was one of the miracle moments. Mm. And I knew it was from God, and I've got no doubt in my mind. No one could tell me different. You know, that was mm. where I felt God very yeah. powerfully, you know. So you, uh, you mentioned in the last part about you felt like you needed to turn your life around and change your life mm. was was there anything in particular that you feel kind of god might have said come on come on chris come this I, way i was always i was a confident young person but i hid my insecurities very very well whether it was through fighting or you know being funny 
or being one of the lads, but inside I was terribly insecure. And and I, I, I just didn't feel loved, didn't feel valuable in society. I just thought I write nothing. And, but there was always this little voice saying, you're more, you're so much more. You know, and looking back, I think that was God, you know, letting me know that I was valuable to him. Mm. That valuable that he let his son die on the cross for me. So, and once you can get that into your heart, you know, there, there's not... I, I look at people in town and there would have been a time when I wouldn't have looked or I'd ignored or... But each morning I sort of say to God, let me have your compassion. Let me look at people how you look at people. doesn't always work and I struggle sometimes and I can get a bit bullshit with certain people, but I try to take time to talk to people. Even my neighbours, they're thinking, what's wrong with him? He smiles and says, good morning now, when he <laughs> wouldn't have before. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, and that is God at work. It truly is. And I know, even when I feel insecure sometimes now, I know I'm valuable in God. Mm -hmm. You know, and... Yeah. He's given me, all, all the years the locusts have took away or whatever, he is replacing it. I know he is. It, he's, he's saying to me, stand tall, because you're in me. You can be proud, not haughty proud, but you can be proud, you mm. know, you are someone. Mm. You know, so, yeah, I'm very fortunate that me insecurities are sort of disappearing or... I don't dwell on them like I used to, sort of mm. thing. So, um, going to your family, like you said that your nan was uh, is, is a Christian yeah. and stuff, um, do you have contact with uh, your parents still? And you said you had a sister, um, do you? Yeah, I have a sister, yeah. Trina. We, we, we don't really get on. No. I pray for her. Uh -huh. I pray for all my family, my children, you know. Yeah. Um, my auntie died yesterday, so I'm a bit downhearted at the moment okay. but I've been praying for my family at Margate and my cousins and that because mm. they've just lost mm. their mum but I, I I speak to my mum now which I didn't for a long time and right. that was through the healing encounter yeah I can honestly say that and after I'd done the healing encounter I actually rung her up and told her I loved her wow. and she actually told me she loved me <laughs> now when we talk we don't see each other that often but we talk on the phone two three times a week and I always say, I love you, Mum, which would never have happened before. And again, that's God at work. Oh, yeah. He, he, he mends bridges, you know, he sort of... I see my nan sort of once, twice a week, you know, but my family was never really a close, close-knit family. No. My, me and my children, we are, and my grandchildren, we're sort of very close, but... I never had that closeness growing up, and I think that's because my dad was in prison, my mum was struggling to cope, putting food on the table and the like, you know, it was just a different time. Yeah. So what do your children, what do they, I mean, are they Christians as well? No? That, they're not, my, my daughter Emily is, she's okay. been to Africa, she's done the missionary thing that's and awesome. all that. Wow. Um, couple of my daughters have been coming to Tiggers and Toddlers now and again. Yeah. I just want them in the door. My son's got his, his, he owns a scaffold firm. It's his scaffolding round. Oh, really? Yeah. The building. I'm, I'm hoping Monday, uh, Tuesday, I'll get him in the door when he's taking it yeah. down. To, but it, 
I've, my, my son, he, my children are all glad that they're so happy that I'm not like I used to be yeah. and we're closer and the rest. I've bought a couple of my grandkids to church. My oldest one is 15. She's come a few times. Right. Um, a couple of my daughter's partners I've bought to church. Mm. You know, so there would have been a time where I wouldn't have communicated like that with them, but they're mm. actually... And I'm hoping if I start a sale group, I can get a couple of them to come as well wow, to yeah. sale group. Because <laughs> I think they feel a bit more comfortable. But I'm trying to... In God's time, I'm sure God... You know, I don't doubt in my heart that my family are going to start looking towards God for saving. Mm-hmm. You know, I pray for it and he's been good to answer my prayers. So I'm blessed. Right, so we're going to end this part here and then we'll be back and ask you a few more questions and yeah so we'll be right back and we're back so Chris um, we've touched a little bit on you know when you've encountered God and what's changed in your life you know um, what specifically or even just little bits of your life or your sort of personality do you sort of look back and compare t- to yourself now to back then? And like, what's been drastically a big change, you know, in who you were to who you are now? Um, I think the biggest change is I'm a lot slower to anger. Right. You know, the little things would just set me off. Big things would just make me explode. But... Um, because of my devotions in the morning and praying and that God has, it does change. It's it's like it says in the Bible, renewing of the mind. Mm. And a lot of the time before I act now, I actually think, oh no, I follow Jesus now. I'm not that person anymore. So my life's a lot more structured. You know, I get up early, I do my devotionals, I come and do some voluntary work mm. at the church. You know, every, everything's more structured and my life is so much more stable. I pay my bills, which I never used to bother paying. Mm. I never used to care about the like. But everything now is revolved around doing the right thing yeah. by God, sort of thing, you know. Sort of. Yeah, and you've, I mean, you've already touched, you touched on it in the last part, but about, you know, Ringing your mum up and telling her yeah. you love her, and oh, it's just all things. Yeah, I guess like emotional bridges. Yeah. bridges have been built. I guess definite, and that that is not down to me in the slightest. That is through God, and that is the truth. That there's, you know, without God, it wouldn't have happened. Mm. You know, without the power of the Holy Spirit prompting me and giving me the courage, because you know it's a big thing for me to say I love you, especially. To family, I know that sounds they should be the first, but it, the, to me, it's been the hardest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, given yeah. your background, mm. yeah, that's fairly mm. understandable. So, um, yeah, forgiveness has been the biggest thing in my life. I have grudges deep inside, and I wouldn't let them go. Mm. I sort of fed on them. That's what kept me going in some ways. But forgiveness has been one of the greatest releases in myself. You know. Awesome. Mm. and I'll just recommend anyone that's harboring any grudges how big or how small let them go give them to God 
ask for forgiveness, you know, and just let it go. So Chris, as we end every podcast, we always ask uh, for a prayer request that we and the listeners can pray with you for. So what can we pray um, for? My auntie at Margate died yesterday and um, I'd just like prayer for my cousin's uh, children, my cousin Mandy and my cousin Stuart, especially Mandy because she was so close to her mum and she's she's struggling with it. Understandable, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And obviously we'll join you in praying for your family. Yes. Ongoing. Continuously, please. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Well, thank you very much, Wiggy. You're like, it's well, been an absolute pleasure. Me and Steve heard your testimony before, and that's why we really wanted you on the show. Uh, very impactful, and, you know, you're just a great man. You know, we see that in you, you know, every time we come to church and stuff like that. Stuff like that, you're really great. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. If you'd like to get in contact to us, please, please do. You can find us on Facebook on the page Our Walk, Twitter at Our Walk Pod, and email us at rwalkpod at gmail.com. Goodbye. Bye. Cheerio.